Hello. Hello. Industry. 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 Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Industry Tactics, my podcast. I'm Friendly Rich, and uh, delighted to be back with you for episode 92. A chat I had recently via Zoom with um, Aaron Como. Uh, we talk about Doug Friesen and um, and Doug's impact on Aaron's musical outlook, as he, as well as many others lately on the podcast, are graduates of the Rosedale Heights School of the Arts uh, program, and they studied music with Doug there in high school, Aaron being one of them. Uh, really fascinating stuff. He really opens up and... What a wise soul. I was just so impressed with this discussion um, and his career to date, running for six and a half uh, years, this trailer studio in in the east uh, end of Toronto, and some really beautiful recordings coming out of that uh, out of that work, as he mentions, and he'll highlight that, and we'll play some of that music as well. So enjoy it. We're getting up there. We're creeping up on 100 episodes. This is 92 my discussion with Aaron Kamal. Connecting his audio, we're doing it live, and we're back talking about the impact of Doug Friesen on the music world. Look at this facial hair! Look at what we've got going on. Are you muted? I'm having a hard time hearing you. Well, why would that be? No, you're not muted, so that's confusing me. There you are. Now I hear something. Whatever you did, there you are. Great. Don't touch a thing. Don't touch a thing. How are you, man? Oh, not too bad. How are you doing? It's nice to see you. I'm doing well, I think. You've got quite the facial hair, too. Yeah. I was wondering if our facial hair is... I've had this theory. It's not mine. It's stolen. But that your facial hair is a, a reflection of your state of mind. Would you say mm-hmm. that's accurate in this case? I've never seen you like this. It's an interesting look. His neck just... Uh, he's got a, an interesting neck, an <laughs> under neck going on. Or is that a beard and it's just not capable? No, it's not, not capable. Yeah, yeah. I, really? I, I, You're shaving the sides? No, no. This is just me this having is, not gone out for, you know, since March or so. Holy shit. Aaron, <laughs> come on. It's great to see you. I don't know you that well, but I'm about to try to get into it with you. You know, we've certainly crossed paths many a time over the yard. 
um, tell me, tell me. I and it was very exciting to hear. I've known for a long while that you went to Rosedale Heights, and that's that's part of what I think. Once I want to frame this conversation around is um, is that and everything that you've been up to in music. So, do you the influence of Doug Friesen on your work? You know, um, and and just that that time at, at at Rosedale and how that's affected your your outlook in life and especially on music? Um, well, um, yeah, I didn't, uh, I didn't go to university after high mm-hmm. school. So I kind of, in those years after, I would kind of say that my time at Rosedale was like my university education. Well, fuck, that's even better. Let's get into <laughs> Let's get into that. You know, the one thing I've also noticed about this podcast is whether you've, you've, you know, you've toured a bunch or whether you've, you've, you went to Rosedale and didn't go to university in your case, these are all music educations. We all have one. We all have, whether we like Mm -hmm. it or not. Right. It's kind of an interesting, so I'm, I'm fascinated by that. And, um, and want and kind of want to dig into that of like where you went after and what that kind of led you to. So, so why don't we start with, I mean, I don't, we don't need to get into elementary school, although where did you grow up? Where, like, where, where are you uh, from? Well, I'm, uh, we're where it all started. I'm in my mom's basement right now. There it is. I come here occasionally. It's quiet. Yep. And it's work. Right on. Um, and, uh, I started, uh, on piano lessons with her at the age of, four i think in in the city in toronto or yep yeah and yeah. we're in the east end around yeah. Maine and gerard here okay right on right on grew up around here went to uh Beaumont public school for middle school and uh which is just over by Coxville. Yeah, yeah. um that's where i kind of met uh well that's where i met i'll start naming names uh mm-hmm. Evan cartwright callan furlong met in grade seven in the gifted class there Gifted class. That's yeah. exciting. The gifties. Yeah, man. Yeah. We were, um, I almost, it was a grade seven and eight program, gifted mm-hmm. program. And I almost quit after the first year because there was a lot of bullying going on and oh, fuck. just not, not nice stuff like that. Um, sure. sure. But by the end of the year, I'd gotten to know the people in the class so well that I kind of thought, well, hey, who, all these other people who are making fun of us, who cares? We're, we're good. We're sticking yeah. together here. And then, uh, I'm glad I stayed. Cause at the start of uh, grade eight, Evan Cartwright lived halfway, half a block up the street. And, mm-hmm. uh, he had a drum kit and started playing drums. And then he picked up a guitar, electric guitar, electric bass and two amps. And we started jamming every day at lunch. Right on. Yeah. So we started rehearsing five days a week, just going and playing whatever we played. Uh, what's the first song we learned was The Hives. Hate to, tell us, hate to say I told you so. Yes. We just play that over and over again. And, and how old are you at this point, Aaron? Uh, it's grade eight, so like 12, okay. 13. Okay. Around. Um, and that was, uh, keeping on the education theme, that was the same year. I started taking less guitar lessons from Dave McKenzie, mm-hmm. great guy who runs a music school in the East End here called Beyond the Beat. Mm-hmm. And uh, he he taught me for about three years. 
and kind of opened up my understanding of everything. I had this classical background from my mom. I did mm-hmm. uh, the RPM stuff. I think I got grade five piano certification. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was just like a some kind of, I didn't know how to improvise. I didn't know how to kind of make anything up. I just was really good at reading stuff off sheet music. Yeah. Uh, and then Dave really opened that up. And uh, okay. And then he taught me for about three years and then said, you're good to go. Huh? And then he hired me no to start says that. school. That's great. <laughs> and oh, then he hired you at, at, to say that again. I missed that last bit. He hired you to teach at his school. Yeah, he hired me to be the piano teacher there. Wow. So grade 11 and started teaching kids. And that would be, I think, the first year I started with Doug, grade 11. Grade 11. A lot of people um, seem to seem to hit it off with Doug in their latter years of of, uh, of high school there. I don't know what it, what, yeah. it, what it was. Maybe it was just he came into the fold at that point? Or? Well, when, when I went, David Hayes was still there. Okay, okay. Um, and David Hayes left after my grade 10 year. Um, okay. So I had David for uh, like band class and that kind of stuff. Um, and in the first couple of years, you would only take one or two art or music courses. Mm-hmm. And then... Was music old, your, your focus? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, by that, I would take, a, I think I took visual art class or something. Uh, and that yeah. was a special thing about Rosedale too is that uh i mean i don't know too much about there was four art schools like tobacco school of the arts a couple other ones Mm -hmm. uh, where i understood you had to declare a major and kind of stick that route and rosedale was almost uh like they were completely open almost kind of against that and they'd encourage you to to take classes from all disciplines yeah i like that well-rounded yeah so you, so let's get into it. So you, you're, you're already, you're already doing a lot by the time grade 11 comes around and yeah. that class with Doug, what, you, what, what were some of your first impressions? Well, there? I think Doug, uh, I'm, I was trying to remember what I first took with him. I think it was composition because mm-hmm. I think Hayes had taught the composition class for mm-hmm. years and it was very uh, kind of, classical structured jazz harmony and and Doug came in and just kind of decided to build it again from the ground up I think um and uh let's see what were we doing well what, I remembered a couple of things that stuck out and one was uh he got us to compose saxophone quartets uh for different parts of the city um Mm-hmm. We went on this big long walk along uh, Queen Street and other places, and we were all tasked with composing a quartet that fit a certain street corner or park or wherever yeah. we were. Um, and that that kind of started opening my mind that music didn't just need to be this thing that was on a CD or on a page yeah. or or a set of rules and notes that you'd study. It could be you know, part of life and part of the streetscape and uh, nice, nice. you could kind of make it whatever you wanted. Um, yeah. And is Evan Cartwright and uh, did Kalen go as well to, to, yeah. uh, to Rosedale? Yeah, Kalen was there. 
the whole oh, wow. time. Um, are they are they in your grade? Or are you still like very much like in a band at that point, playing with each other, or what? Uh, no, I think we played together in a band in grade nine, and then uh, yeah, we definitely we played the talent show. We were called Where the Wild Things Are um, after the book. Cool. Uh, and then I'm not sure why you know when high school bands get together and they yeah yeah it's kind of. Um, and I think at that point, uh, Jacob Damlin came. He arrived mm-hmm. grade ten, I think. Um, and oh, what bands were I saying then? Uh, Jake Hogue was there too the whole time. I kind of met him in in grade ten and started playing more. Mm-hmm. And uh, me and Jacob and Jake were in a little trio called mm-hmm. JC and Hogue. Real, <laughs> real. Uh, creative name there um <laughs> and we played kind of jazz fusion stuff i was on bass uh and yeah that year doug uh he started a improv group after school or i guess he i listened to the the interview you did with him oh great great uh, i think he he had been doing it for years and then i guess some of the kids graduated mm-hmm. um, so I joined up in his in his improv group. So he, he had some experience running that before you you came to it, eh? Yeah, yeah. I guess I was kind of near when I when I graduated Rosedale. He was still teaching there, but I understood he left pretty soon after to do his masters. Okay. Um, but yeah, playing. I got to play piano in his improv group, which was really kind of like a full circle moment from my earlier education because. Uh, yeah, I grew up loving loving the piano, studying it, um, doing the conservatory things, and then through elementary school and middle school, I started to kind of hate it. You know, yeah, grow up yeah. taking classical lessons is pretty sure. classic to to be uh, sure pushed away from it. It's, and it's, then, a, it's an interesting uh, rite of passage for many. You know that yes, that yeah, push and pull with it. And then you, I think you, in a way you, you kind of come back to it a little bit later and go, oh yeah, there mm-hmm. was a point to that, some kind of a point to that. Yeah, well, it was it was kind of like I had I had all this knowledge in my hands, yeah, yeah. Head, somewhere there, yeah. and Doug said, sure, play the piano and play whatever you want, and here's some John's Zorn charts, and and I was like, oh, I know how to read those, I learned that. Okay, what's that weird chord? And, and I remembered distinctly just kind of really hitting the piano and trying yeah. things out and and uh that was it there wasn't you know there wasn't uh with these after school programs there wasn't the kind of exams hanging over your head or having to prove it it was just playing music and exploring so how does how does that compare to Royal, it's it's like the antithesis of Royal Conservatory in a lot of ways, right? It's like so the opposite. So how does that kind of, was that, did you feel it was good for your brain to kind of get into that Doug Friesen kind of model versus like the more kind of standardized um, RCM diet? Like how did that kind of affect your, your coming up in that mm-hmm. at, at that time? Your um well yeah i definitely i 
I credit them both, I guess, because I nice. I, I credit, you know, my mom and the RCM for giving me this grounding and and knowing the theory and yeah. And then I credit Doug for kind of unlocking it and and uh, letting me express it and and because my and helping uh, helping me to, to develop an ear for it. That's um, nicely put. Yeah. And uh, it was through high school too that I I uh, discovered I have uh, perfect pitch. You do too. Uh, synesthesia, yeah. Yeah. Kind of, oh, you have you have synesthesia. Yeah. So you can smell it. Uh, uh, music. Me, you can it, smell music. For no, me you can color. Um, oh, oh, okay. Okay. See, I have it with smell, but I do oh, have perfect pitch. Okay, you smell. have it. Too. I okay. I don't brag about it much, but mm-hmm. that's cool. Do you? Do you, does it throw you off? Is it off-putting? Uh, no, it's kind of, um, it's kind of just worked its way in now. Yeah. Um, but I started by, uh, I started by seeing color of keys. So like E, I got this tense feeling of red. Whoa. And F was orange and, and that stuck around for, kind of throughout high school and then the colors kind of went away just really and yeah now it's just kind of stuck and just i hear a note um, okay okay so so the synesthesia kind of links to your perfect pitch yeah yeah oh, interesting interesting well that's great man um that's and it, was that kind of a, a nice moment when you discovered i remember when, when i discovered i had perfect pitch it was kind of an empowering thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, it was a great moment. Uh, or it wasn't even really a moment. It was, mm-hmm. I think I, I started feeling the colors one by one. Oh, wow. And then excitedly told some friends, and they were like, what on earth are you talking about? I'm like, isn't, <laughs> don't you know that E is red? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, wow, it's fun to, it's fun to learn that and, and, uh, know that you're very special <laughs> i mean uh the gifted program indeed aaron come up oh dear yeah so so uh did you go on an, an on any of those weird trips to new york or new orleans or yeah like yeah i did two two band trips um okay i, I pulled out the cds here Oh yeah, so you you also went to the island to record? Um, I went to uh, I went on two. This was the two thousand uh, two thousand eight one, my grade eleven year. We went down to let's say here with New Orleans, and then we went through Nashville and Birmingham. Wow, way. wow. Um, and that was a, a really interesting year because that was the first year that uh, David Hayes wasn't there. And he yeah. did all the arrangements for the band. Um, you Doug know, did, Doug, or Dave uh, did. David, David okay. Hayes, yeah. Yeah. Um, he did all the arrangements, and then he had to leave, I think, earlier than he wanted to because his, his wife was quite sick. Oh, um, sorry to hear that. Okay. And he just kind of kind of pulled out, um, mm. and um, Justin Deneau was there to, mm-hmm. to take over. The band, but uh, Justin wasn't an arranger like like David, um, so he came and through the fall did a weekly after school arranging course for us. Oh wow! For about 
three months, I think. And he stood up to use real uh, old school guys who stood up at the front of the class with yeah. a chalkboard and a piece of chalk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Went about yeah. explaining four-part jazz arranging uh, and then said, okay, yeah, the band needs 25, 30 tunes. Each one of you start arranging. Oh, cool. And so by the end of the year, we had 30 songs there for the big band, all arranged by students. David came back and did one arrangement. How fun. Um, How fun. Were you one of them? Were you one of the... I didn't do one that first year, but I did okay. get a couple the next year. Um, you got it. You got anything that we can throw to, like uh, music-wise, like audio-wise? Can 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 you share an MP3 or something after this? Yeah, yeah. From from that or from, um, yeah. I'd love to hear one of your um, one of, my, hmm? one of your arrangements if you if you have. Yeah, which one did I do? Um, oh yeah, I did. Uh, I did with a little help from my friends. Here it comes now. With a little help from my friends, arranged by Aaron Camo. What year would that have been? This would have been uh, 2009, uh, the year we went to Levon Helm's barn. Oh, yeah, we heard that story. Holy uh, shit. And then opened up for him at the, at the Ramble. And uh, so I got to see Levon Helm in his, in his living room. And that was your band? Were you playing in that? Like the opening, that was you, right? You were in the mix there? Yeah. I was on the bass. Um, Fuck. A couple different Amazing. drummers. Yeah, it was. It was what wild. was that like? Yeah. Um, oh, my mom popping in, grab something. Hi. Hi. Um, okay, well, let's let's go to with a little help from my friends, and we'll talk about it after. Sure. Yeah.
haunted love. Walk out on me Lend me your ears And I'll sing you a song And I will try not to sing out of key Awesome. Nice, nice work. Wow. So that's some of your early arrangements. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, 2009, that was, just the kid with a dream. And that was, uh, Jake Hogue helped with that. Um, okay. cause we couldn't decide between the original Beatles version or the, uh, the Joe Cocker live at Woodstock version. So we, smush the two of them together cool 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 great great and uh you were so, so wow what a rich i just what is that it, it seems very hands-on the um the that what doug had cooking there what was going on at rosedale like you're you're you know these these trips that that are not your average school trips right mm -hmm opening for Levon um, and, and, and going to New Orleans and all of this, right? Like it's getting the opportunity to record music as well. Like how special is that? Like, yeah. And it really kind of set the tone for what, um, what I would do later. 
running a recording studio and stuff because we um we went down with 60 kids or something it's a big big band um so you're not stopping to to do overdubs and you're not uh entering the take thinking about getting an, another shot at it uh, mm-hmm. but most of these band records you'd, you'd do in one day because mm-hmm. that on a seven day school trip you got one day to record okay um so it informed my my uh work uh producing records right after that um by i really wanted to get things live and and i always remembered the feeling of those early records you know there's something mm. quite different about being in a room with a band of that size and everyone's playing and then you hear it back and and it's done so mm-hmm. then after that whenever i'd enter recording situations where we're kind of moving a little slower or and not that there's anything wrong with any mm-hmm. recording technique but for that to be my kind of formative experience uh I had that background of knowing what that felt like. Yeah. To have a band in the room and have them nail the take. Um, yeah. Yeah. So when I started the uh, the trailer, which was just closed last year. Um, yeah. Why don't Why don't you set up our listeners who aren't familiar with sure, what yeah. you were up to in that trailer? A very special thing that I had heard about. Go ahead, please. Uh, well, I was making records uh producing records uh, around toronto for a couple different songwriters working out of different studios uh john dinsmore studio mm-hmm. quite, quite a lot um and i just had i had a lot of questions as an engineer uh when i was producing back then i would just let the engineers do their thing trusted them i was more focused on the music and then uh kind of got to the point where i needed a space to experiment and make mistakes and mm-hmm. not uh, be on the clock so much. Uh, and my, yeah. my stipulations in my search were, uh, it had to have four walls and electricity and okay. uh, you know, be tolerable of noise. And yeah. that was it. And then I, I was just searching around Kijiji and, and uh, East End Studios or workshops or something came up and uh looked at the map and turned it was right across the bridge from where i grew up just oh, wow. at maine and danforth uh and that was uh, may of 2013 i got the keys and uh the place i got the keys to was one 40 foot tractor trailer that had been parked there okay uh, and it was beside a place called the silver mill center for the arts okay uh, so it's on like blocks or something like this? Is that how it works? Uh, yeah, it's just kind of parked, uh, still on its wheels. Wow. Wow. Um, I, I never stopped to wonder whether the tires would pop. or, But uh, we had it stored <laughs> up there. and um, Amazing. I had what there were, uh, it was kind of an L shape with parking lot in the front and a, a big, tall uh, grain elevator, about three stories high. Mm. Uh, the last one in the city, I think, um, mm. and uh, right beside the train tracks. And there were two two trailers. I got the first one. There was an artist in the other one. How how many records did you make? So you 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 
you get it in 2013 and you yeah. just close it up in 2019. So you spent about six years there. Yeah. Yeah. How, uh, how many records did you make in that, in that time? Oh, I, over a hundred full length records and then smattering of EPs, singles. And what did you call the studio? What was it called? Just called the trailer. Yeah. Very good. Uh, although it was two, I was going to say that this other person left. And so three months in this, second trailer came up for rent oh. I thought well I'm, I'm not gonna have another chance to here's my it. isolation booth there you're, oh, you're uh, it yeah yeah i thought you it was two trailers in the end it was two trailers stereo. Uh, so you could record in stereo i guess yeah well then the the um <laughs> uh one year in it was it was kind of wasn't working you'd have to go outside to go in between them um <laughs> So I uh, I asked my landlord, say, can I build a like a thing oh. between them and and cut a wall out? Oh shit! And they weren't totally stoked at first, but I kind of talked them into it. Um, so we I had my friend Braden Cameron uh, cut an eight foot section out of one of them, and we built this roof on the top and crazy amazing, and then made it. Uh, wow! Wow! Um. Yeah, because they were the the building. It was connected to. Um, it was run by this old, this old uh, French family, or uh, this old French guy named Magella, and his son Mika was the uh, kind of property manager guy. Okay, okay. But Magella was kind of the mastermind of of the building, and he, every day that I was there, he was there, hoisting yeah. some beams up the stairs and. Okay new floors in putting new workshops in okay so the whole time i was there i would would hang out with him a lot and and just uh chat about space and the organize and how people move through it and and we were both kind of building our wacky little workshops at the same time how great it's uh, charming what a great i mean what a great period in your life eh i mean yeah, it was it was um, quite a time, and it I had to shut it down because the street got uh, bought up okay. by a developer. Um, bought the whole street. Bought the my friend. Um, I should talk about my friend Stefan, who was next door. Uh, oh. He had a painting studio mm -hmm. above an auto body shop, mm -hmm. and that was kind of the vibe of the street. There was that was a storage place. There was a hardware store kind of coin up car wash it was kind of old industrial toronto was okay and um yeah to, to bring it back to doug a little bit uh stefan um stefan and i ended up hanging out a fair bit because we were the only ones on stefan another rosedale alumni actually oh yeah what's his last name stefan berg stefan berg okay i'll try to get him too we didn't. Um, we didn't go at the same time. I think he graduated oh. right before I. Okay. To. Okay. Um, but when when Doug got the composition class, uh -huh. uh, in when I was in grade eleven, um, there was also a class called non-traditional art for visual artists, uh, uh -huh. run by uh, Mr. Killen and. Uh, him and Doug decided to combine the two classes. 
So I love this. You're the first to shine a light on this. Every other, I think it was every other class. um, uh, We would have the lecture in the same room and we'd do projects together where you'd have to team up with visual artists and musicians and make great. What's it called? What's it called again? Non-traditional artists, non-traditional what? Non-traditional art. I guess it was the, great. Fucking the, awesome. The composition, and then they just put them together. Sounds uh, beautiful. So then, what, kind of, what I, kind of music came out of that? Some weird. Well, shit. I was racking my brain to try and remember, uh, and I was looking for my box of high school papers. But Amazing. I couldn't I couldn't find it. But. This is turning this is turning into an anthropological dig. <laughs> um, I think the saxophone quartet stuff was part of that uh-huh. Uh-huh. i remember us like watching um we we all sat down to watch our murray shapers um a video of his yeah. for 12 trombones on a lake oh yeah yeah sure yeah and you know so we just there were yeah they, as they were blowing the ceiling off of art and music you kind of make it whatever you wanted um so then when I hmm. when I met Stefan on on Dawes Road there where the, the studio was mm-hmm. um the collaboration of music and visual art mm-hmm. only seemed natural. You know. Yeah. It didn't matter that there were any other musicians on the street. There were other artists and we could just make stuff together. Um Yeah. Uh I first started hanging out with him because he would have uh, uh, weekly drawing sessions where they'd have maybe five or six people come and pitch in 10 bucks and pay someone to sit for three hours. And oh, yeah. They'd draw you. And mm-hmm. So I, the first time I was paid to go hang out, I thought, great, I'll just go sit and make you know, a bit of. I money. could do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, I guess some people were dropping out um, and they couldn't. They didn't want to make it so official with, you know, paying for it. Okay. Um, but they said, hey, do you want to just, can you just come, like, do you practice? Can you just come play and sit and play and we'll draw you? And then, so it ended up becoming mm. a mm. Um, beneficial for, for everyone. That's how I would practice. I would go over in the evenings. And, mm. uh, and then that led into um, to a year-long uh uh, event that we all um, put together called uh, what we just called live music and life drawing over at uh, the jam factory mm-hmm. so yeah i think i saw you there at the uh, mark Rabot concert yeah right 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 so that used to be run by a guy named morgan Yu. um oh yeah who was who has actually an original rent payer on the trailer he uh, wow. paid rent for six months at the start to use it occasionally um and that that was kind of that was in 2015 mm-hmm. we, did, we ran a weekly session uh where you have a live nude model maybe 30 or 40 people drawing in that big room and then each week you have a different improvising musician okay wow and cool. the stipulation was you couldn't like you couldn't come in and practice your set you couldn't like it had to be searching improvisational music wow um wow damn that sounds so great. I, kind of, I kind of view all this stuff that i've 
was doing the trailer and just yeah. improvising and and producing. It all just kind of came out of Rosedale. It wasn't it wasn't like there was much of a transition I needed to do. Just that the time there was just you. It kind of nurtured you to be expressive and try to be right. yourself. You know what I'm picking up on is uh, Dave McKenzie tells you after teaching you for three years, like, yeah, you're good. <laughs> I've I've never had a teacher just go like, yeah, man, you're good. Just you're you're done. You're good. <laughs> um, so amazing for good for you, Aaron, <laughs> bastard. Uh, but but have you felt this kind of um, it it takes a like so you leave in grade what twelve or do you do o- is there OAC back then or no no you're done there's no OAC no so some people did a fifth year a fifth year but you so you leave after four years and you you uh, you go do you hit the ground running like are you like man I'm gonna just like like was it a big step for you to not want to do post secondary in any way or did you feel like you you, you had a good understanding of music and wanted to get at it from a different angle well i i applied for humber and i got rejected uh let's just take a second to enjoy that comment uh-huh so um that that kind of closed closed that door i think i just botched the inner or the, the audition yeah um well i'm not sure what happened but no uh, and then i you, went to you don't um, make mistakes you don't i make went mistakes. to u of t for maybe a month for a regular bachelor of arts. Uh-huh. Uh, but I was just too busy playing music. Uh, and I had to, who are you playing with? Who, what's, what are some of the, the, the projects you're working that time, on? That time would have been uh, a band called the Swamp Yankees. Okay. Which was myself, uh, Samir, uh, Samir Cash. Back then he was known as Sam yeah. Cash. Uh, Callan Furlong, J. Okay. Cole, and our friend uh, Dermot Goss. Okay. Um, and we were we were playing. I think we we're still eighteen at that point, playing wherever we could. But uh, we played regularly at Grossman's actually, because wow. David Hayes and his band The Loose Wires would play there on on Friday nights while we were still in high school, and he'd he'd invite the kids out. Amazing. And, uh, Amazing. He'd have student bands play in their breaks that's so great the swamp that's yankees so great. got our big break wow 17 years old playing in how wonderful season. how wonderful uh and a band called dear sister which which was myself and raven shields and mm-hmm. reese Almena, uh who are both still still mm-hmm. active and playing lots yeah it's nice to hear like many of the names that you you've named are are still doing their thing and sounds like also part of your musical family like did you did you really I mean, it's such a special thing that I mean that's what's leading us to talking today this oh fuck you went to Rosedale as well like that mm-hmm. comes up a lot I mean that that's pretty much the whole point of this thing right is <laughs> is is kind of and you know what's really interesting is Evan Cartwright's name has come up in every one of these interviews. I have yet to talk huh. to him. I'm going to leave him till the uh, yeah. just keep going and see how see how often his name comes up. Uh, but you know, so maybe maybe it's like a podcast within the podcast, the bigger thing, like because that's kind of what fascinated me about 
how many people studied with Doug that I've just been noticing are kicking ass in music and also commenting on the, let's dwell, not dwell on it, but the, the fact that you were rejected from Humber, uh, yeah. kind of puzzling. But I, I have made the statement that like, it's like, it, it is kind of, I really feel like Rosedale, there was something in the water there in terms of Rosedale's approach to definitely getting something right when it came to raising like this whole generation of functional musicians who may have had a lot of back background coming into it. Like it sounds to me like you had a rich foundation coming in, but then they blew the the, the ceiling off as you put it. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of. Yeah. Well, when I started playing around town, like after I got my start with, with the bands I had from high school, but then yeah. Just started hitting the pavement and going to keep other people's gigs and making myself available and yeah. started playing with people like Jack Marks and Devin Cuddy and hanging around the Cameron House and yeah, yeah, playing with whoever whoever would uh, would ask and uh, they started noticing that there were all these Rosedale kids kind of creeping in everywhere. Interesting. Um, so that was yeah, comment I would hear. 2012 uh-huh um that's awesome that's awesome and uh and they would people would tell me back then that oh you don't you know half the reason or most of the reason you go to music school is to to develop a community of musicians that you can create with and and there is obviously there's there's wonderful stuff you learn there and professor sure. um but they said don't don't count yourself handicapped because you didn't you know you're kind of doing it already amen so who who taught you this who who drove that point home for you ah uh, that's well, I, I was hanging around the camera house a lot back then so I was hanging out with people who had i remember the, all the bands from uh the guys from jane's party okay uh, but you just all, drove it home for me you just drove it home for me that that's the whole point of because another one of the questions that I, I'm not going to dwell on, but is do you have a, is there a sense, some sense of regret for not, not, I mean, I mean, you, you, you're, still a, you're still so young. It's like, not to, not to say that you, you won't even, maybe you will, maybe you won't, who gives, who cares, right? But it's to, to do any, any kind of post-secondary study, you have done it. Right. I mean, I would argue that you are doing it. So it's, You've you got a PhD in trailer work, right? Like that trailer seems like it was like what six years running yeah. a studio. Yeah. So g- great on you, man. And but is there any kind of do you? I don't know. I I there, yeah. I, I have regret in my education. I think we all do in terms of like, oh damn, I wish I had more of this or or this in my in my background. You know. Um, well. I'd, I'd often heard it said that, uh, especially around the time when I was thinking about dropping out and then yeah. after dropping out of U of T, mm-hmm. um, that you, you kind of go to university to learn how to learn. Yeah, and yeah. Um, as I'm not running the studio anymore and I'm trying to get into other things, uh, more yeah. music composition, kind of, um, I'm, I'm now feeling a bit handicapped um, just in kind of reading, reading books and synthesizing yeah. ideas and yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. trying to understand 
the world like we're all so attuned to the world now yeah you know, with the pandemic and everyone being online and kind of being inundated by mm-hmm. news from all places unless you make a conscious effort to to close it out that yeah, yeah. i'm feeling just a little intellectually behind because mm-hmm. i maybe didn't take those those courses where you have to learn how to gather info from all sorts of places and put it into a concise essay but but i also don't know you know maybe i maybe i do have those skills and i'm just kind of not yeah and you know that piece of paper from the university does give you a little you know push to say yeah you do know how to do this and right because i didn't do that i constantly have to reaffirm it or you know yeah find the confidence just in in from what i've done yeah no thanks for sharing i think it's really really important you know and i i really respect and and um admire the path that you're on and and kind of you know at the end of the day i kind of feel like we no matter what the the level of education or how we got to it we're all going to have like there's these moments of like how uh, there's such uniqueness in your it's our stories right and mm-hmm. I mean however you do, you want to define your your music education it's um it is charming and it, it's like I I know there are a lot of people out there that are admiring like seriously admiring the language that you've developed through you know through a really interesting unique path. Mm. Um, I'm also interested in this goddamn trailer and the regret I have in not ever having stepped foot in it. Um, mm-hmm. Do you, do you, so, so it becomes, um, I guess, uh, a victim of uh, gentrification in a lot of ways or just development, but it, it, it's also a mobile concept. So was there, is there an opportunity to relaunch it in some other way down the line or are you done with it? Like you sold the gear off or whatever, like um, how, well, how did you kind of dismantle it? Well, there was a, a lot of, uh, there was, we, we luckily got uh, a year's notice. We'd have oh, to okay, leave. so you could plan for that a little bit. Yeah. I had good. some time and yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I was, I was getting a little weary of, of running a place because, you know, I yeah. started it when I was 21. Right. All of a sudden you're a business yeah. owner, like all thrown into it. Yeah. yeah. And, and it started out with these lofty ideals of, of you know when i first started no condenser mics just just what? try it out. uh and that was your I, thing no condenser mics yeah because the the go trains were right right beside there the place wasn't soundproof so it was super loud outside coming oh. in oh. um and of course what, what, a, what an interesting uh move yeah man never heard that okay so okay keep going these things came and went and, and I was trying out all these different ideas and, and I had this big task board. I got into Gigi for 150 bucks that, wow. and kind of through, through a couple of years of doing that, I got more and more kind of standardized and I got better mic and I brought some more engineers in and, oh. and uh, we got kind of better stuff, but then the more stuff you have and the more gear you have to fix and you know the place is bigger and i'd spent money renovating it and okay and then all of a sudden i end up a businessman yeah and uh yeah. you know now we have to have condenser mics Fuck. We, can't, we can't try these crazy things so hey, there's, there's a sense um, that it, yeah go ahead go ahead uh just a sense that the experiment kind of reached its maturing yeah um, yeah and it's sad that it couldn't just 
plateau and just exist where it ended up. Sure, sure. But, but uh, you know, six years, it's a long time. It's a period. It's a phase of your life, man. Like yeah. over a hundred records. Let's, yeah. let's, um, does one of those records come to mind now of let's take our listeners to the trailer and play something, something that really yeah. on memory to you. I mean, uh, uh, you can just throw me a, an MP3 after we, we yeah, talk. yeah, I would, I would say just to get the track here, I would say the kind of high point of the trailer was when I hit, uh, hit this session with Al Tuck. Oh, to wow. a record of um, Gene McClellan songs, amazing, um, and it kind of tied everything together because I, I, uh, we had done one record a couple of years before that with a variety of Cameron House players mm-hmm, backing mm-hmm. up Al, and then uh, I started improvising with this group we loosely called ourselves Sketches, and that was with uh, myself, Wes Allen. Mike Eckert and Galen Pelly. Wow. Uh, and Al's recording style was fit kind of well with my production style. He he liked doing it live and he was live to a point where if you missed the take, he's not going to give it to you again. And you've just kind of missed it. Um, and, or you'd maybe try it again another day, but he was on this, he's on this performative journey in the, recording studio all the time so i decided to mix these two things together and get al backed up by a kind of augmented sketches lineup oh wow so is that the that band also, that... that's the band so and then jason winterton also played on it and yeah, bruce nice. mckinnon oh wow uh, that's a band but yeah i'll play uh should we hear off that we should hear faces all right all right this is faces i'll talk Backed by uh, an augmented sketches. See the friend all 
myself If there's anyone there Around to see me It's nice to it's nice to hear some of your work in that trailer. Um, so do, it was kind of bittersweet to end it, eh? But in a way, I think it's 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 nice to 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 just to to, to look back on it now with you and mm-hmm. just go, okay, that, that it's done. You know, it's it's a you're no longer a business owner. <laughs> you know, like yeah. it's. Yeah. So what I'm going to ask you, and I think as we try to wrap it up, is so now what? I mean, is your facial hair a state of mind? How yeah. you how you doing? Uh, I'm I'm doing all right. Uh the I've I have moved um a bit to the gas station on the Toronto Island. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with good. Dale Hornister there. Great. Uh, That's exciting. Because uh, he was looking for some other people to, to take yep. on some days yep. and the gas station another victim of, of gentrification. Yeah. On yeah. The about that experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so I can reimagine it. Dale is is the example of like, don't let it stop you. I'll let it right? stop. Yeah, I suspect it won't. But I would. I'm going to focus more on um, on writing and and putting out my own music. Um, that's that's exciting. And um, have you yet, Aaron? Is there like is yeah there... yeah? Well, I'd, I also should have talked about. Um, uh, around this, just before that Altuk record, I put out a five record box set of instrumental music. Jesus. Um, called, and, and that was, that was, came out of a, a period. My father was quite sick, uh, and passed away in 2016. Oh man, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, and that kind of framed the entire trailer. I rented the trailer and he got his diagnosis a month later. Oh, God. for three years hmm. and then just before he passed away i had this kind of outburst of creativity and these five records came out of it whoa whoa um and then the the time after that until now is just 
been kind of learning to live with you know, kind of grief and confusion that yeah it uh, goes along with losing a, a parent yeah which uh you know I, I still don't really have anything much to, to say about it. it's kind of mm. uh, but uh, perhaps they have some instrumental music that's it well it. here, here let, let, i'm going to take a breath with you here and let's um Let's cut to some of this instrumental music. Let's play a track off of a five, five, five CD box set. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it. Beautiful, beautiful. Here, well, here's a selection from it. This is Aaron Camo. So what is it? Solo instrumental? Uh, there were two, two records that were with a trio. Me, back okay. up, like, drums and bass. Wow. Okay. One, and then we should play one that's uh, off uh, called Hymns from My Father. Uh, oh, beautiful record of uh piano and pump organ recordings you on both yeah fantastic here it is for my father that's heavy Aaron thank you for sharing this um man yeah so education I was saying what was I saying our stories stories uh boy you you've uh, you've unraveled one here eh and um and states of mind and facial hair I think <laughs> that's, that's kind of all bundled into one there um 
where do you see yourself going from here? You're, you're, you're taking a moment as we all, I think are in this global state that we're in. Um, uh, so you want to, you want to, you want to keep developing that your, your voice as a, as a composer and, and writer and creator and producer and all of those things. Eh? Yeah. 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 I just see the, right now, the, the whole music industry is kind of at a standstill. Um, and uh, so what, what better time to, to squirrel away and, and just. Do you have a lot of that, the gear from the, from the, from the, the trailer? Does it. Yeah. Like I kept, I kept the digital side of things, my, my um, computer and stuff and, and, but uh, sold a lot of it because the uh, gas station already had. uh, Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Then I just have a little home, home setup for, for writing. I have this, uh, bought a, a zoom, R16, this mm-hmm. beautiful little eight-track recorder. Wow. And uh, as wow. the trailer closed, I feel like I'm kind of at a period of starting again. Yeah. Almost. And yeah. Right now, I'm not really caring too much about the uh, so, so-called so quality of it right yeah. now. Yeah. And is it user-friendly, this Zoom unit? I know they usually Beautiful. Are. There's no internet on it. There's no, not, it's just. It's straight to the bloodstream. Here I am. Yeah. Here I am, you can get into it. I like it. it. I like it. I like it. And so what kind of stuff are you doing these days? Uh, well, my project this summer was to um, do uh, a weekly tape of two-minute improvisations of, of layered stuff. Uh, so throughout the week, uh, I kept the recorder set up all the uh-huh. time with the guitar. Just is this at the gas station or is it just wherever? Uh, no, I spent the summer on PEI, actually. Oh yeah, you did mention that. That's so. You just came back recently. Yeah, just okay. a week ago. Okay. We left okay. our cozy little Atlantic bubble. What's what was going on over there in PEI? Were you talking? Uh, my was girlfriend from... from PEI. Oh, okay, uh, so great, great, great. My family. And cool, cool. Uh, we try to spend as much time in the summers there as we can. Awesome. awesome. Um, but yeah, I would just keep this thing set up and and because uh, I'm I'm trying to let the the idea is just to not be so heady about it, to not be yeah. so, yeah. Yeah. you know. Uh, yeah, I like that. Uh, within the lines at it. So I restricted myself to just two minutes and I kind of, whenever a thought or an emotion or something struck me, I'd go hit the recorder and I get a little two minute piece. Wow. A couple of dubs. Industry and tactics. <laughs> What? How many minutes do you do you end up with in the end? I'd be between you know twenty five and forty minutes a week. Very good. I aim for, uh, and I think I got about six or seven of those tapes. Um, you run out of gas at some point too. Like I did six or seven, and then it kind of starts to get old. But now yeah. I have those to to look back on. Oh, great challenge! Great challenge. And are you going to release them? Yeah, I think I might pick pick. Uh, some selections and and uh release uh part of the part of the mindset is you got to go into it not worrying about showing anyone or um yeah. so there's some pretty rough kind of yeah just that sounds great that sounds oh so maybe i should just release them all you know what why don't you throw one my way we'll we'll end with it uh, fuck right. it are you cool with that definitely yeah I like that, man. I like your spirit. Um, well, I, I just want to thank you for um, 
walking us through, you know, your your story, your music education. I, I, is there anything you want to leave our listeners with in terms of um, just, you know, it is called industry tactics. So, mm-hmm. and you've you've seen the music industry from many a angle. Uh, and you're so young too in, in, in your career, right? So just any, I mean, anything you've picked up along the way that you would, you know, the, the student, the young music students at Rosedale now, what would you tell them? I tell them, uh, uh, you gotta watch out for your, uh, your opinion of what you're doing in the present moment, because you can often get caught up thinking it's wrong or thinking it's not with the times or thinking you're no good, but Mm. you just are fiercely yourself always. Then two years down the line, you look back and you've actually done a whole bunch of things and, and there's, you can trace a through line through it. As long as you just, you know, just listen to your, your own kind of inner artistic direction and, and just follow it, stick to it then you can't go wrong really very thoughtful answer and uh appreciate every word man i really do no thanks thanks for having me yeah man so take care of yourself and and uh we'll do like a facial hair update at some (laughs) point down the line once this second wave is behind us okay yeah yeah take good care of yourself aaron thanks rich yeah ciao ciao Thanks so much, Aaron, for being on the podcast. Uh, that was awesome. And, and thanks for being open to uh, sharing um, unreleased uh, improvised material that you uh, that you worked on, that very cool project that's in development. That was the last piece that we just heard there, uh, recorded over this summer of this bizarre summer of 2020. 
That was Aaron uh, in Prince Edward Island, as he had mentioned, and uh, some, some improvised work from him. So join us again next week. We'll be talking with uh, Tom Uhas and Joan Smith of Joan Smith and the Jane Doe's. So look out for that next Monday. Be safe, everybody. And uh, shoot us a line at Industry Tactics on Twitter if you still do that shit. Or find me on uh, Instagram and uh, all other social media outlets. I'm Friendly Rich. Or you can go to FriendlyRich.com to get in touch with me. Thank you to those who have gotten in touch lately saying how much um, you're digging the podcast. That means a lot. Bye, everyone.